called to the work of restoration. And so have you. It's not meant to be done alone. We need each other to be all in and committed to the task. Because in the end, we will all be stronger and more secure. The time has come for this wall to be restored. It's time to rebuild the wall of faith. Well, good morning, church. Are you fired up and ready to go? Say amen. Amen. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles now to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7. Even as you're turning, allow me to pray again. Father, we come to you this morning ready, looking to you. Father, we turn our attention to you because you're the one who promises to instruct. You're the one who promises to redeem and restore and transform. And so, God, we need you to do that work today, please. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We submit ourselves to you. And God, we come with great expectations, longing, Lord God, to see progress in our spiritual lives. But we recognize today that this is not a work in and of ourselves, God. This is a work that requires us to press on in your strength. Would you help us to this end, God, today we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said... Week seven, week seven in our series called Restored. It's called Restored because we are seeking to rebuild the walls of faith. We're learning what it looks like to live a life of faith who's called by the Lord to live on mission and to fulfill our life's purpose before God. We're learning these things by studying and journeying and walking through this book of the Bible called Nehemiah a book that is named after the man who takes the central place in the book, at least on an earthly plane. His name is Nehemiah. What's the theme? What's the goal? What are we after? Here it is. We're asking the Lord to restore the walls of faith in our lives. In this season where things have been difficult and gray, where it's quite possible that Your faith has been shaken at some level. We're saying, Lord God, would you please teach us, equip us through your word so that you may build the walls of faith back in our lives so that we can accomplish your work in our lifetime. And so we've been asking the Lord to strengthen us. We've been asking the Lord to strengthen us. And here, uh, entering into chapter 7, this creates the perfect spot Hit a pause. Come on, everybody give me a timeout. Come on, give me a timeout. Everybody, timeout. Chapter 7. Chapter 7 is just over the halfway point. It's a great spot to pause just for a moment and measure our spiritual progress. You see, today is all about our perspective of progress. Say progress. You're with me. You see, you and I are called to grow. You and I are called to not stand still. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Therefore, as you've received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. We're to be rooted, we're to be built up in him and established in our faith, just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Why? So that no one, nothing, would be able to take us captive through philosophy and empty deceit. Verse 8 of Colossians 2, according to the human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world rather than those according to Christ. And so my question this morning is this, how is your wall of faith?
God, please restore my wall of faith. Lord God, please, won't you strengthen me? And so six weeks have gone by. And um, now we're in week seven. And so we ask, how's your wall? You think about Colossians chapter 2, and what do we see? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so, so walk in him. But so many of us stop with, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Like we're happy to have the footer dug. We're happy to have the foundation laid. Many of us are just happy to know that we are secure in Jesus. Our salvation is set, and then we just go on with our lives. But what? The text goes on to say this. We miss this part. We're to be built up. We're to be established Our walls are to be strong. They're to be secure. These walls are not just to have a good look on the outside, but they're meant to be filled full of faith. And so the question is this, when the winds of deceit come, when the difficult circumstances of these past months, this year 2020, as they've rolled in, as the tides have rolled in against your wall, how has your wall held up? Like when the big trial comes, when the real pressure hits the wall, like, is it going to hold? You remember week one, maybe some of you, and we said this, that um, it's not about the look of the wall, it's about what's on the inside of the wall that counts. And to be built up, to be strengthened, is to have your hearts full, the walls of faith in your hearts full, full, continually seeking, pursuing after the Lord because it's only a matter of time until your faith is tested. And so we long and we strive to not be tossed to and fro, as Ephesians chapter 3 says. The bottom line is we should expect real progress in our lives and we should expect for the walls of our faith to hold. We need not welcome the challenge, but we should expect the challenge for it is coming. And indeed, I would say it has arrived. We should expect progress on the walls of our lives. We should expect progress and we should accept no less. Why? Because God himself is the builder. Jesus Christ himself is the master builder. Hear this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For you are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He's doing the work. Now this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is the verse saying? God wants to work in you, but he also wants to work through you, which means you have to get your hands dirty, that they're building the walls of faith. Yes, God is going to do the work, and he's going to give you the strength day in, proper lifting, and day out. And yes, the wall could potentially fall from time to time. Every time, proper lifting. Why? Because we got to be in this for the long haul. We got to understand that it takes lift after lift, time after time, 
pattern after pattern, day after day. Just when you think the wall is done, there's more. Just when you think you finally arrived, that is your first identifier that you've merely hit a benchmark. Building walls is not easy, it's difficult work. It takes a press-on kind of attitude. The Apostle Paul said this. Not that I've already obtained it or that I'm already perfect. Will you be perfect in this life? Say no. Does Jesus see you as perfect? Say yes. Wall building is closing the gap. Are you perfect? Say no. Does God see you as perfect? Say yes. We're closing the gap. We're being sanctified day by day. And that is God working in me and then through me and getting up and doing it again. Not that I've already obtained this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I can do this today. I can put words together one after the other. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. You can walk out of this place and you can fulfill the purposes that God has for you because he has made you his own, period. Psalm 127, for lest the Lord do the building, we labor in vain. That's the point. You see, spiritual progress takes a press-on mentality. Do you have one? It's kind of an irony, isn't it? We submit ourselves to hard work. <laughs> we surrender ourselves to hard work. Do you have a press-on mentality? Nehemiah did. And today in our text, we're going to see the progress that comes from one who simply presses on. We're simply going to see what comes to the one who does, gets up and does it again. The one who looks adversity in the eye, not in their own strength, but through the power of Jesus Christ. And today you're going to see what happens when victory finally comes. But here's the deal. I think the greatest challenge to your faith may not be the hardships, believe it or not. It may not be the external challenges that come. We've seen Nehemiah stand up time after time to those. We ought to expect those. One of the greater hindrances to the progress of the building of our walls of faith is actually victory because we can feel like we're done. And when you let off, there is no coast in your spiritual life. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. There is no middle. And so we press on. And so Nehemiah presses on. And in today's passage, finally, 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 all of his hard work, all of his passion, all of his planning, all of his vision casting, all of his sacrifice, all of his hard work are going to allow him to reach an incredible milestone. And let us celebrate the milestones. Many, though, could say this. You could say this book should be over in chapter 7. Many could look at what happens here and say, look, mission accomplished. Wall is up. This dude has reached his goal and he's earned himself a pretty good solid vacay. Come on, show me the way to the beach. Maybe even an early retirement because this is pretty remarkable. But what's amazing is Nehemiah doesn't seem to see it that way at all. He doesn't consider the completion of this wall a pinnacle, but just another point along the way in his spiritual progress. Friends, when you reach a milestone, we got to know how to handle it. When we finally see a victory in our life, we need to be sure that we don't let off. 
And Nehemiah shows us how, how, how to steward progress in our lives. So here it is, three responses to spiritual progress. Three proper responses to spiritual progress. If you're ready to see these three, say, let's go. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 7, we're going to start in chapter 6, however, verse 15. Here it comes. Right off the bat, verse 15, we have ourselves a progress report. Here's a progress report. If this was my progress report, it would be very, very long. I like to share with you all the wonderful things that I accomplished because milestones don't come easy, do they? So here, here we go. But don't, but don't blink. Don't close your ears even for a second. Here it comes. So the wall was finished. What? So the, wait, okay, there's a little bit more. So the wall was finished on the 25th day, on the month of Ol, in 52 days, period. That's the progress report. We've just studied six weeks. We're on week number seven, week after week after week, this guy. We get to this major milestone. It seems to be the whole purpose of the book that a wall would be built, and finally the wall is built, and all we've got is this? And so it's done. Like for real. If you, let's just say six months ago, six months ago or so, you received this news. You're, you're sitting in the king's palace in Susa. You hear that the wall is down. Things are in a shambles. You pray to God. God opened a door so the king would send me. The king actually does send him. You come and you do all of this. Rallying the troops, mobilizing the people, getting through fight after fight, navigating internal conflict, being the center of political smears. And then the job is done, and it's just you and your diary, right? And you're like, dear diary, today was neat. <laughs> you didn't even say it was like super day. He's like, dear diary, wall, done. Dear diary, wall, complete. If I organize a regional project that saved a city, I completed in 52 days what hadn't been done, I don't know, in 140 years. I'm pretty sure I'm doing a little bit more than saying to my dear diary, like I'm writing volume after volume of all of the wonderful things. And what are you doing? This guy is essentially the governor, the mayor of the town, if you will. He has all the resources in the world. Like, what are you doing? I'm telling you what I'm doing. I'm striking up the band. Like, we're having ourselves a parade. We haven't had one in a while, right? Maybe like a little Wallapalooza, you know what I mean? Like a little concert. Maybe some fireworks in the air. How about fire? Where's the fireworks? Wow. That was a lot more fireworks than I expected. Seriously, though, for the average person, this is party time. For the average person, this is let off the gas. You know where I come from? This is at least a trip to Olive Garden. <laughs> or, or for Pastor Brett, it's hosses. <laughs> we still have one in Lancaster. They started in Altoona. Just like everything great, 
that comes from Altoona, and then it leaves. <laughs> and the wall is finished. He states it like it's not that big of a deal. He states it like he's expected it all the while. Uh, you know there was a very famous football coach who doesn't need to be named who said this, when you find yourself in the end zone, act like you've been there before. Nehemiah expected victory. Nehemiah didn't leave Susa. He didn't leave his former life. He didn't rally the troops. He didn't ask people to expend themselves because he expected defeat. He expected victory all along. And so when the wall was complete, he acted like he meant for it to be done. He acted like he actually believed that God was going to do it. Man, in my house, I put the dishes away and it strike up the band. And this guy's like, look, I told you, I believed that God would do it, and he did. And this is not just a fluke, friends. Think back over the passages. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, he said, the good hand of God is upon me. That's why I'm doing this. Chapter 2, verse 12, he said, Then God had put into my heart. This wasn't even my plan. God put this in my heart, he says. I can't even take credit for the idea, says Nehemiah. 2.20, the God of heaven, he will be the one who makes us prosper. It'll be God who makes us prosper. Not quick wit, not strong vision, God. Nehemiah 4.15, it was God who frustrated his enemies. Chapter 4, verse 15, think about that. We've been giving Nehemiah credit all along, and for indeed we ought, because God works in us and through us. And as he works through us, we have to always be reminding people that it was because God was working in us that anything was accomplished at all. He frustrated the enemy's plan, and then this, Nehemiah 4.20, our God will fight for us. Nehemiah knew that God always keeps his promises. God promised and God delivered. God promises and God delivers. Joshua 21.45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel will fail. They will all come to pass. And the same is true for us, friends. Jesus Christ has made us promises. He will not leave you and he will not forsake you. He will be with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Cast that check. Take Take it to the bank. You are not to live in the depths of despair, for he is with you at all times. He promised this, to build his church, that the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. We should expect that to occur, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of political turmoil, even in the midst of racial tension. Let the church be the church. Let his grace prevail and flow. And may the adorning of the gospel be an attractional aroma to those whom the Lord is drawing to himself. For indeed it will always be the stench of death to those who are perishing as well. We should expect, we should expect God to keep his promises. Ephesians chapter 3, he's more able. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think. The only thing we should expect is to have our minds blown continually by the Lord. Our only surprise is, is being not surprised by God's work. I think we need to raise our expectations, church. Not in a scrutiny kind of way, but I'm talking about the expectations of what the Lord could do here, what the Lord could do in your life.
You have a press on kind of attitude. If you've been doing it alone, you'll lose your press on attitude real fast. If you're not making priority for times with the Lord, if you're not, if you're not gathering with him and meeting with him and allowing for the, his faith to fill the walls of your heart, it gets exhausting really fast. This is not a pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of message. This is, oh Lord, would you lace them tight for me? Oh Lord, would you give me strength for each step along the way, please? We need to expect God to do amazing things, miraculous things in our midst. Because God, does God still do miraculous things? Does he? Does God still work miracles? Do you believe that? Say amen if you believe that. Could God, does he still do it? Say amen. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about the fraudulent prosperity, have yourself a car kind of miracle. I'm not talking like never, never lift a finger. All you got to do is this and watch God just provide for you day after day. What I'm saying is God will work in you and he will work through you. Come on, press on. God works. If you look through the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament, God worked miracles in the context of his mission. As his people got to work, God continued to do miraculous things. As they were willing to go where he sent them and say what he told them, God continued to blow open doors that they never expected to have opened in their lives. I get the sense that God is in the business of steering, moving boats. Indeed, he is the one who allows them to propel. But it's as we are in motion that God moves us along the way. Check out how, what happens next in the text. And so the wall was finished on the 25th day. In the month of Elul, 22 days, it's finished, by the way, around the month of September. They started to work in March, April or so. Sorry, late July, he left to go do the work in March, April. He starts the work in late July, gets it done by August. Awesome. 52 days. When all, the enemies, when all of the enemies heard it, all the nations around us, what do they do? All the nations around us, they become very afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem. What in the world does it mean to fall greatly in their own esteem. It means they lost steam. To play on words, they became fearful. They lost their courage. They lost their motivation. Well, Nehemiah's like, yeah, I mean, this is what my God does. God said he would do it, and he's doing it. It's another day. Wall's built. His enemies are like, oh, my word. For 140 years, we could walk into that city and take it anytime we wanted. Now there's walls. For 140 years, we had our way over this place, and now we don't. Only a God, a God had to have worked inside of these people to make this all happen. Look at verse 16. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God, Nehemiah says. You see, point one here is simply this. When God shows us progress, we will show God's glory and power. When God shows us progress, we've got to make sure that we show God's glory and power. 
Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 16? In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Even the adversaries, even the enemies give glory to God when they step back and say, oh my word, oh no. The demons shudder at the glory of God just as they ought to shudder at the progress of the mission. You see, when we answer the call of God, he works in and through us. And like Nehemiah, we need to be sure. We need to be sure that all people, that everyone around us, that everyone who witnesses the work knows that it was God who worked in us. Nehemiah served faithfully and God was glorified. And because he expected God to work, he didn't get distracted at all. We were able to move on to point two and say this. Nehemiah was able just to keep on moving and stick to God's goal and plan. He was able to stick to God's goal and plan, point two. You see, we've got to stick with God's plan. We've got to stick with God's goal. Even when we hit milestones, we've got to stick with God's plan because the enemy is sticking to theirs. Got it? We have to stick to God's plan because the adversary, the enemy, is sticking to theirs. You see, the nations and the adversaries, they made up for their lack of confidence. Look at verse 17 now. They perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of their God. Now verse 17, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah letters came to them. What's up with this Tobiah dude? Have you noticed this name rising up over and over? This guy is a problem. Like, what's his beef? Well, we're about to find out. Keep reading. Tobiah is sending letters back and forth. He's like running this little like underground intelligence thing, trying to get in the middle of the work and get it stopped. For, verse 18, many in Judah were bound by oath to this dude, Tobiah. Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehonanan. Doesn't that clear everything up for you? That's what's going on here. Well, here's the deal. And his son Jehonanan had taken the daughter of Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. And so this guy who is an Ammonite, we learn that he's an Ammonite. This is why we study the whole book in its context, all of it all the time, because the whole book sheds light on other parts of the book. And so what do we learn here? Tobiah is an Ammonite. Ammonites are enemies of Israel. But what happens here? Tobiah marries one of the noblemen's. He marries into the nobleman's family, he and his son. And so now they're related. And, and, in, and inside of this as well, it seems that there's some contractual obligations that have come in in the sense that they've become a little unequally yoked, both in business and in marriage. And if you were to study the book of Ezra, which came right before this one, you would know that, she, that he gave clear warning, do not, do not, do not engage with the enemies of God. Do not become unequally yoked with the enemies of God, he says. Well, they have, and now they're paying the price for it. When God clearly tells you not to do something, and we do it, the repercussions of said action can carry 
generational consequence. We're not bound to that consequence, for we can endure through the Spirit and the strength of God, but yes, indeed, our actions have a consequence. And so now this guy is intertwined. He's got the ears of the noblemen, the decision makers. He wants to see this project stopped, and he's working his hardest underground to get, make that happen. Now watch, verse 19. This guy's a real piece of work. Where I come from, we call him a slime ball or other words. Watch what he does. And so they spoke to his good deeds. They spoke of his good deeds. This is the nobleman coming to Nehemiah like, dude, listen, he's, he's not that bad. I mean, he's done good contracts for us. Like, why, why, can't, why can't you cut this guy a break? Come on, he's, he's done good deeds in my presence. He's reported my words to him. And Tobiah then also sent letters to make me afraid. Do you ever have this happen? One guy's punching you in the gut while he's working on your friends. And they're like, dude, why can't you give this guy a chance? And he's working the middle. He's working the noblemen, trying to warm up to them and get them kind of against Nehemiah while at the same time tugging, using the noblemen to get intelligence and information to try to stop the work. Do you know there's nothing new under the sun? They were two-faced people in the Bible too. And so, how does Nehemiah respond? The, the guy's consistent. What's he do? He ignores the clown. I'm not, I'm not, I, I got work to do. We just got the wall done. My God is using me. I don't have time for your foolishness and your nonsense. Look, look. He literally, he just goes right past it. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1. And now when the wall had been built, let the adversaries be the adversaries. Let the adversaries, let the enemies do what the enemies are going to do. God's given me something to focus on. And if I take care of the mission of God, he'll take care of the enemies. If I take care of the mission of God, God takes care of the adversaries coming against it. And so he, he keeps focused on the wall. He keeps focused on the mission that the Lord has given to him. And he says, and when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and, ready? When you first read it, it looks like he's going to say when he sets up the gates. But when the wall is all done, the gates and the doors are in place. Now look at what he does. He puts gatekeepers and singers and the Levites, he appoints them to their place around the wall. And then verse 2, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. I gave him charge over the whole thing. Why? Because he was more faithful and God-fearing than any of the other men. And then Nehemiah gives this instruction. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut the bar Shut, the, shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
some at their guard post, and some in front of their own homes. And so what does he do? The wall is built, but what, now he begins to put protection around the wall. A wall is an inanimate object. A wall is just a wall. Lest God's people join with Nehemiah in the charge, in the call to protect what God has called them to restore. The people that Nehemiah chooses to guard the wall is incredibly significant. Gatekeepers, singers, and Levites. Come on, Bible scholars, you know anything about these three groups of people? These are temple workers. These are people who are religious leaders. These are spiritual leaders over the people. What does he do? He is making a clear statement. These are worship officials. These are worship pastors, if you will. Nehemiah makes it abundantly clear that the completion of the wall was not the ultimate goal. People's hearts was the ultimate goal. This is where we finally see the whole turn. We're calling it restored because it's not about a wall. It's about restoring the walls of faith. And this is the turn in the entire story. You get it. The book is only half over because the work is just now getting done. That's how spiritual progress takes place. When you realize that what I was just accomplished was merely the foundation checkpoint to the next step of abundant progress that the Lord has for me. When you start to realize that each checkpoint in your spiritual life is just is not the end, but the beginning to another incredible reality in the Lord, life becomes a whole lot more enjoyable. Challenges become a whole lot more welcomed in your life because you're like, bring them on. Wall's done, what's next? Enemies thwarted, bring on more because God is sanctifying me. God is working in me. And now that we have this much, I can welcome other people into the plan. Bring on the worship leaders. Let the people know that we have built a wall to secure the land so that we can get this, these people back to worship. Now that they see that God can do great things, let's worship the one who is great. What's he doing? He's not just on mission to rebuild a physical wall. He's rebuilding this wall of faith. And by placing spiritual leaders to stand watch, he's sending again this loud message. Friends, this story is not about a physical wall. Any more than our church is about this physical building. Look, they need the wall. The city needs the wall. Jerusalem needs the wall in this context. It's going to provide security. It's going to provide them security as they go to the temple and they worship, the, as they worship their Lord and they serve their God. Indeed, indeed, the wall was crucial, but it was it just set context. Indeed, us having a gathering point and a rallying place indeed is crucial for us, but it's not the walls that matter. It's the work that happens inside the walls that count. Do you see it? And the same is true in the Old Testament as it is true today. We're blessed that the Lord has provided us this base of operations. We're blessed that we can spread out in this room. 
We're blessed to have a secure place where you can come and be loved and we can be sent to the glory of God. But it's not about the building. If the building were to fall tomorrow, we would still be the church. You would still be gathered in your gospel-centered communities, in your small group. What have we learned through this COVID season? God's church prevails despite physical brick and mortar. Amen? We're stronger than brick and mortar. We're more than a mortgage. We are more. Let us not count victory by construction projects. But let us find great glory when the Lord affords us the opportunity to make more space because actual missional work has been done. You see the difference? I'm not knocking one or the, I'm not knocking the one at all. Let's just make sure missional progress is what drives the other. Let's make sure the worship of God is what drove the building of the wall. Let's make sure that we understand that we, that Nehemiah was after this. Get the wall built, get security so that we can get after God's people and get God's glory back on the map. That's what he's about. A place to be loved, a place to be sent, a place to be commissioned to the glory of God. Speaking of commissioning, look at who he commissions here, his own brother. Hananiah, why does he, why does he appoint him to a leadership role? Because he's faithful. Hananiah, by the way, is the very brother who brought the news to him in Susa. And now here you have Nehemiah who's taken this step of faith and he's looking back at his brother and he says, here we are. Do you remember six months ago when you met me in Susa? Do you remember when this was just a dream? Like, do you remember when this was just a vision? Like, I felt like God put this in my heart, but... Now we've got a wall. I thought, I thought the Lord was telling me that he wanted to restore all of these things, but now here we are. We're actually seeing the work of God. Could you imagine if Nehemiah lets up now? Church, can you believe we're sitting here? Do you remember when we had 30 parking spaces? But it's not about parking spaces, is it? No, and it's not about a wall. He and I was faithful. He dreamed with his brother and he saw it come to pass and now here he is. You see, God's goal is to reach the hearts of people but God's plan is to use faithful people to do it. He and I has got a shot. God's goal is to reach the hearts of people and his plan to do it is to use faithful people, and now Hananiah has his place. God promotes the faithful, we descend to influence. God promotes the faithful, we descend to influence. The way up is down, it's God's economy, it's how leadership works in this place. You want to lead well, serve best. By God's grace, help us. The worship leaders knew how to lead and guard precious things like the temple. 
These worship leaders knew how to guard precious things like gold in the temple, and now they're guarding the most precious things of all, the hearts and the souls of the people who filled the walls. Nehemiah gives them these practical instructions because their protection is of his utmost importance. He's not just a political leader. He's the shepherd of their souls. Oh, God, make it so. Which leads us to the third and final point. When we see spiritual progress, come on, friends, let's be sure, point one, that we show God's glory and power above all, that we secondly stick to God's goal and plan and not be distracted. Now, number three, seek God's guidance and presence for what's next. Let us seek God's guidance and presence for what's next. Look at verse four. Knowing that the wall was not the goal, Nehemiah now looks out and what does he see? The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. This is a sad verse in many ways. Fifty thousand or so, all of those people went back with Ezra just some years prior and rather than a gathering in the city, they gather in these villages around the city and the city is actually rather bare. There are people there for sure, but look at what he says. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. How many houses had been rebuilt? So what was happening? People were like, Nehemiah, this is a really cool project you're running. We'll be glad to come over and help you. This is a really neat idea, and man, who, who wouldn't want God's temple to be protected? But yo, but don't be messing with us and our, we're comfortable here now. We got our homes and our, and our towns on the outskirts and we don't have to be all, see it? There's a lot more work to be done. That's the point. So, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. No houses have been rebuilt and Nehemiah is certain that God's call is for this city to be strong again. And so now this, verse five. And so then God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled back into the city by genealogy. What in the world is a city? What in the world are walls if people aren't in it? That's the point. And so Nehemiah wanted to see life Spiritual fervor reinstated back in the promised city of God. And so, God puts this in his heart. Then God put it in my heart. Man, I love this. I love this because there's two, I think there's two types of extremes. There's two, two types of people in the world, at least in my Christian life. There seems to be two extremes. Some of you may be somewhere in the middle, but there's like this person like, God told me, God told me. God told me this, and God told me that. God told me to check out this. God told me this. God told me that. God told me I needed to go to McDonald's. Like, like, like everything, that, like, there's that guy, like everything they say, God told me, or God, I'm not trying to get all up in your lunch, but God laid it on my heart to begin praying for you. Would you mind sharing your deepest, darkest secret so I could follow through on that? Like there's that guy, and then there's the nope. No, he didn't. There's the nope guy. Does God still speak today? Nope. I read it in my Bible. That's all I got. Nope. 
God, God tells me everything all the time, every place, every way. God laid it on my heart, and there's the nope guy. Okay, I love the Bible too. And I love biblical precedence. Look at verse 5. Let this refresh your soul. To Nehemiah, this simple cupbearer to the king, this everyday guy who indeed was blessed for sure. But this is not a patriarch. This is a guy. Then God, then my God, put it into my heart to assemble the nobles. Precedence for God's laying things on our heart. Precedence for being led by the Spirit of God. Christian, the Spirit of God is alive in you. Christian, the Holy Spirit is resident within you. Yes, indeed, he leads you. Yes, indeed, he guides you. Yes, indeed, he does lay things on your heart. Let it be clear, we serve a living God who is not distant somewhere out in the stratosphere. He resides inside the temple of your hearts. It's inside these walls of faith that our God takes residency and he desires to lead you and to guide you day by day. When is the last time you heard from the Lord? Maybe the better question is, how do you know you've heard from the Lord? That seems to hold these two tensions in balance. Nehemiah was sure that he heard from God. Why? Because he was close to God and he was consumed with God's word. He was close to God and he was consumed with God's word. Let us be clear. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. No one can fully understand them. And so if we want to know if the Lord is guiding and directing us, we've got to remain close to God. We've got to remain close to God and be completely consumed with his word. How did he know that God has laid it on his heart? Because it was in accordance to God's word. Jeremiah 29, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 62. I will restore the city. I will bring my people back to the land. He knew it was of God. Even though they may not have wanted to go into that city, Nehemiah had to have confidence in these texts of Scripture to say, we did not build this wall. We did not come this far just to come this far. People need to live inside this space and grow in their worship to their God. See it? And so here's the deal. When we live on mission, we hear from the Lord. I'm not talking audible voice. I'm saying, listen, hear it. When God lays it upon your heart to share the gospel, do it. When God tells you to run from sin, you don't have to wonder if that's God's voice. Do it. When God is telling you to set time aside and pray with him and meet with him and delight in him, do that. When God is telling you to do the right thing, do it. When God's telling you to pray, for somebody, do it. When God's telling you to encourage someone, pick up the phone. When God's telling you to be generous, be generous. When God's telling you to stick up for somebody who's being wronged, do it. If God tells you to sin, it's not God. Do you see it?
And so Nehemiah finds confidence in the presence of God and in the word of God. And then God put it into my heart, he says, to assemble the noble noblemen and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And now this, I love this last part. And I found the book of genealogy of those who had come up at the first. I found written in it. And then he just goes on for 70 verses, listing all the names of faithful individuals who stepped out from their comfortable spots and came back to the city. It's fascinating. Nehemiah is going to repopulate God's city with the people who were listed in a book. Those who were faithful to step out once, their names were written in a book. And now they're going to have the privilege to enter God's promised city again. Do you know that there's another book? Do you know that this is a foreshadowing, I believe, in a very real way? You see, the time is coming when God's going to populate an even greater city. There's a time coming when God is going to populate his very kingdom. And he is going to populate that kingdom by names that are written in a book. Revelation chapter 21 Here's your picture of God's kingdom. Call it heaven. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Come on now, close your eyes and imagine this. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. There will be, they will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. It will have no need to be guarded, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those, only those will enter into the city whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Look up here. There's a book. There was a book that Nehemiah found with names written in it who he was going to allow to come back into the city and there is a book in heaven with names written in it and my question for you today is is yours? You see our mission right now is simply this. My responsibility, even in this very moment, is to call on those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life and call upon you to embrace salvation so that you can receive the reality that God has already called you to. How do you know if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? It's very simple. You repent of your sins right now. In this moment, you ask God to forgive your sins and save your soul, and you will be sure that your name was already penned in there before the foundations of the earth. God drafted this book, and he wrote down your name. Now say the prayer and come to the Lord in faith. He's calling you now. Today can be the day where you step back and you realize, my word, I've been wandering, and I've been jostling and I've been searching all of this time and here it is my name was written in a book all along and he led me to this place 
in this moment at this time so that you could hear this. Stop running. Stop faking it. Repent and believe and know for sure in the depths of your soul that Jesus Christ has called you to himself. And so, Father, we come knowing, believing with all of our hearts that you are the saver of souls. You are the rescuer of men. Father, you sent your son to this earth to die on the cross so that our sins could be paid for and atoned. Father, you tell us in your scriptures, if we call upon your son, on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. We confess with our mouths and believes in our heart that your son, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead, we'll be saved. Father, we're just so grateful. We're so grateful, Lord, that you do the saving work. We're so grateful that even in this moment, you're working in us and you're working through us. And so God, work now inside the heart of the one who needs to trust you so that, so that they can put to words the work that you're doing inside of them. Friend, right where you are, ask the Lord to save your soul. Call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save your soul. Tell him you know you're a sinner that needs him to be your savior. And the work will be accomplished. And your name, which is written in the Lamb's book of life, you'll be sure that it's there. For the Lord has done his work again. And now his work in your life, which has been, he's been doing all along, this milestone of salvation will be a new beginning for you. And so, Father, would you remind the rest of us of this work as well, that you're not done yet? the spiritual progress that we see in our lives. Lord God, it's just that. It's progress. There's more. There's more. There's more. You have more for us. Would you restore the walls of faith in all of our lives? That's what we're asking, God. Help us to have a press-on posture. In the days ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.